Hi, I'm your host Pratik Panda and you're listening to Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast by Philo. Here we talk to the best and brightest in influencer marketing to help answer all your questions from finding the right influencers to making sure you have the best influencer marketing strategy. So let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast. And joining us today is Lloyd Lobo, an accomplished entrepreneur, podcast host, and community builder. As the co-founder of Boast, he's transformed the landscape of R&D tax credits for startups in the US and Canada, and employs a variety of AI-based tools. Along with this, he's an expert in the community-led growth model and a driving force behind Traction, which is a global entrepreneurial community facilitating actionable advice from large companies and well-known names like Google, Shopify, Uber, and so many others. Lloyd's expertise stems from his hands-on experience in startups, but he has an interesting journey. He's bootstrapped his last startup to eight-figure revenues before raising a $100 million fund. I'm looking forward to this conversation, and I'm very excited to have you on board, uh, Lloyd. Thank you so much. I appreciate your kind words. That was quite an intro. All right, cool. So what is one controversial hot take on influencer marketing that you believe in that maybe not everybody agrees to? So marketing in 2023 is taking a bloodbath. CPMs are up, Facebook, Google, TikTok. Generative AI has created a sea of sameness. And what that means is after the initial rush, the head rush of generative AI has waned off, people who are copy pasting, you can just tell. The other things that are happening are Google is gonna kill third-party data. And the largest segment of growth that's happening in the whole social space is micro-influencers. People are not listening to brands anymore because I think people who behave in businesses are still the people who are behaving a certain way personally. Ask yourself this, do you follow more brands on social personally for personal content consumption or do you follow more people? I follow zero brands, to be honest. And I I think that's the reality, right? And even as marketers, that's the part we need to think thoroughly as we plan about our campaigns as well, right? Yeah, but please go on. Yeah, you're absolutely right there. And so what I'm getting at is there's, there's a few trends that will drive the future of marketing and business. One is third-party data is going away. Generative AI is creating a sea of sameness. Micro-influencers on a rise, 10 to 100,000 follower people creating content. Short-form content has more engagement and consumption than any other form of content, even on YouTube. Like, I mean, TikTok created this trend and that is exploding. And the last one is communities. And community, to me, is what brings the whole creator economy together. Because ask yourself this, if people are listening to you and following you, you have an audience. You talk, they listen one way. Yeah, there's some commenting going on and you comment, but it's mostly one way. You talk, they listen. If as an influencer or a creator, something happens to you, that is gone. If you can't create content tomorrow, that is gone. How do you turn that audience into a sustainable, lifelong business, right? How do you go from an audience to a cult brand? You have to build a community. I don't know if it's a controversial take or it's a contrarian view, but 
in life in general, you win by being contrarian and right. If you look at the journey, and this is a very <laughs> powerful thing I'm going to say, and I might get laughed at, but the journey of everyone from Christ to CrossFit has this similar path. Audience, you have something to say. People buy your product, they listen to you, you have an audience. You bring the audience together to interact with one another, you have a community. The community comes together to create impact, you have a movement. And when the movement has undying faith in its purpose through rituals and beliefs, it becomes a religion or a cult. Now ask yourself this, think every religion or cult-like brand has started that way and followed that path. Audience, community, movement, cult. Perfect example, let's break down Mr. Beast, right? He was creating content repeatedly, repeatedly, consistently. And so consistency, as my Jason Lemkin person I consider a mentor, he wrote the four in my book, he says, consistency is the secret ingredient that turns small actions into big outcomes. So Mr. Beast was consistently creating content over time. He never stopped. And most people, they stop just before the inflection point. Then he started bringing those people together. Then he started leveraging those people to create impact, right? $20 million raised to clear 20 million pounds of plastic from the sea or $30 million raised to create 30 million pounds of plastic. Those kinds of things, $20 million raised to, to plant 20 million trees, so you create a movement. And then once people start following you because of the things you do, because of the beliefs and coming around the rituals, you become a movement. Harley Davidson, this company almost went bankrupt in the 80s, okay? When the Japanese manufacturers came in and commoditized electronics, right? Think about it. Brands in general, every innovation turns into a commodity, right? Yesterday's innovation is today's option and tomorrow's commodity. Yesterday, you had the GPS, then it became, you couldn't get your hands on it, right? Everyone wanted the GPS. Then it was an option in the car, and today there's CarPlay. Some cars, like, don't even have it anymore. It's back to, like, yeah, just connect to CarPlay. Why do you need to have this, maintain your own firmware and software for a GPS system? Just connect CarPlay. But if you see, yesterday's innovation always becomes tomorrow's commodity, but if you build a community, you won't become a commodity. Apple never competes on features talks about the greater purpose of the community, the aspiration. And their ads and marketing is playing to the aspiration of their ideal customers, their community. Whereas their competitors are dashing about features. I don't know if it's a controversial take, but you can't build a long-term sustainable brand without a community. You'll have an audience, you'll die someday and the audience is gone. But if you don't turn that audience into a community, there's no hope for building something lasting, right, beyond you. Then it becomes about the purpose. It goes from being centered around you to being centered around the purpose when people keep coming together to create impact. And so like, if you look at it, even CrossFit to Bitcoin is a cult right now. One would say it is a religion. You argue with them about their beliefs and they'll cut you. But they didn't start that way. Started with an audience and built a community and created a movement and then leveraged rituals like coming together and doing certain core actions repeatedly, having a place, a home, those kinds of things. And then it became like a place, a congregation, and then it became 
a cult, a religion. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the key things that you pointed out here was the difference between audience and community and how do you go from building audiences to then converting them to a community. Let's talk about some examples or some actionable advice there, right? Like, let's say you're a brand, you've started building that audience and you have a few few hundred thousand followers. How do you go about converting those into a community? What's the most important thing to do? Definitely. You know, I think let's take it one step even behind, right? Like, let's take it all the way to you're starting from zero. Where do you start? Because not a lot of people are cut out to build communities. I think the first step is figuring out, do you embody the ethos of giving and bringing people together? If you're in it to make money, you'll never build a community or your community won't sustain. If you ask yourself, oh, how do I make money on this? Then there are different ways. Monetize your audience, like sell ads, sell them stuff and be done with it. Or do sales, run Google ads, whatever it is, don't do community. Because community is a labor of love and it takes a long time to build and it takes even longer to sustain generationally, right? But when you have that, it's not only an acquisition lever, but it's a moat for growth. And so you got to ask yourself, do I have the DNA of giving? And so when I talk to like these thousands of community people, I found common traits amongst them, common values, which was they drive connection. They run autonomously. They give their members autonomy. Like for if you care about control, you can't be a community builder. They want to improve their people and help them become better and better. So there's mastery. There's a great sense of purpose, which is beyond the product or profits. See, in 2023, even though there are layoffs, people have avenues to make money, right? They can consult. There's a record number of people going to solopreneurship. You can do Upwork. You can do Elance. Sorry, you can do Upwork. You can do Fiverr. You can drive the Uber and optimize your taxes as a contractor. So to be able to go and work for somebody or be a part of some community, there needs to be some purpose that's beyond the profits. So what is that greater sense of purpose? There needs to be energy. You know, oftentimes you list, you, you may be a part of a great community, but then you get speakers who come on that put you to sleep and you want to leave. There needs to be energy, like, you know, like Red Bull, how they institute energy into their events. And the last thing is recognition. Proactively recognize the efforts of people, no matter how big or small, will keep them coming back for more. Because we're not robots. People are built on emotion. And by saying thank you to somebody and making them feel good, they want to come back and do more. So you need to embody these values, these common values. I call them camper, connection, autonomy, mastery, purpose, energy, recognition. If you proactively have that in your DNA, you have the foundation for building communities. The second thing is honing in your ideal customer profile. Like figuring out, this underserved niche, who they are, what are their goals and aspirations, where do they eat, breathe, drink, sleep. And that is important because if you create content for everybody, you're creating content for nobody. So you need to figure out what is this underserved niche and how I can deliver outsized value to them compared to everyone else. What is this great value? And I keep adding more and more value to them. Like Jason Lemkin, who we all know of Saster, has a rule to add one great piece of value to the community every year and one small piece of value to the community every year. So figure out that underserved niche and draw out their circle of influence, meaning who are other influencers in the space they listen to so you can understand the content they listen to so you can create outsized value or you can invite them as guests. Who are the people they buy service from? So what are the tools they buy? Like who do they fund basically? What are the tools and services they buy? And you can leverage 
that to build a list of partners that you can co-promote and co-market with, have as sponsors. And where do they frequent? Like, where do they hang out? What blogs, magazines, et cetera, they read? So you can distribute your content there. For example, if they follow certain journalists and if you're hosting events, you can invite those journalists, et cetera. So now you've built the circle of influence around your ICP. Now you have these like burning questions you would create for this ICP, right? Like say if you had to write an ebook on the ultimate guide to XYZ or like the ultimate roadmap to some aspiration, what would that be? Customers want an outcome. They don't want software. They don't want technology. They care about the outcomes for them, right? Like anything in product marketing, there's this graphic where they show Mario. He eats a mushroom and he turns into a super Mario. Have you ever seen that? Yep. Right? And, and most people sell the mushroom. What you should be selling is Super Mario, which is the aspiration, which is the outcome, right? People want more leads. They don't want market and automation. So start selling that purpose, that, that aspiration, which goes beyond your product or service. Fall in love with your customers and help them beyond the product or service. And that is the key. They come to you for that problem to buy your product, but they have a bigger aspiration. And, and so help them beyond that product or beyond the product or service you offer. And now you start creating content and you start developing the audience, right? Consistently. Whether you know simple ways are we do this video. You can post the video on YouTube, the audio on podcast channels, which you're doing, turn it into shorts. And now you have the shorts for three, four different content channels like YouTube shorts, Insta, TikTok. Take the text, put it on LinkedIn, very descriptively, like with your perspective. Don't put like third-party links in the LinkedIn feed. Break down what you learned. 10 things I learned from a conversation on community with Lloyd. 10 controversial things or whatever, post that. Then create a Substack so you can have a weekly newsletter and create a course on Maven or something. So now you have one piece of content, like once you have like 50 pieces of content, like I had seven years of traction content to go by to write this book. And then I referenced different things. So you create eBooks and things like that. So one piece of content turns into multiple forms of content. And you may have something like daily posts on social, weekly newsletter, every other week podcast. And now, so you start developing this audience based on cadence. Now start bringing this audience together. Maybe we're doing this, this thing on Riverside. Can you open it up to a large audience? So it's bi-directional conversations. Can you create a WhatsApp group? Wherever your audience feels comfortable hanging out and interacting, like you gotta ask the audience, right? So if they wanna interact more closely, have a WhatsApp group, maybe have a Discord group. Then explore doing in-person meetups. Honestly, Anytime you incorporate more than two senses, we're sound and sight, but in person, we're taste, touch, smell, we start to build stronger, genuine bonds. Think that through, right? Like if we were in person right now, we'd be hanging out for a longer time. Most deals, why used they used to be done, the biggest deals are done on the golf course. Why do VCs want to meet founders before they invest? Because it creates genuine relationships. So now you've built this audience Start bringing them together in person. Mr. Beast brings people in people uh, in person. Harley Davidson, Red Bull, CrossFit. Find an iconic brand that hasn't congregated in person before they became an iconic brand. It's very rare, right? Nike has running clubs. Tesla, Fanatics, get together, right? And so start bringing these people together first online by opening it up and then take it offline. And so your cadence would go from like, oh, daily chats are happening, weekly newsletter is happening, Every other week you have a podcast. Once a month or every other week you have a meetup. 
can find super fans in your community and empower them to organically host these meetups. And meetups don't have to be a thousand person traction conference or a 10,000 person Saster conference. Meetups can be literally pizza nights. That's how traction started. Actually, when we started Boast, we couldn't get customers because we're selling R&D tax credits, right? Globally, hundreds of billions given in R&D tax credits and innovation funding by governments. But it's a broken application process that's prone to frustrating audits and takes a long time to get the money. The problem is when we started calling people, nobody would really talk to us. It was hard to cold call and sell because you got two guys sitting in a bedroom in an apartment calling when the service is offered by big four accounting firms and no serious company will give you their technical financial data when you don't have any social proof. And so the larger the company we called, the more inaccessible they were. And so this is a framework here is how do you figure your audience? The ICP one is based on your, of course, passions, right? Because when passion meets profession, you become Michael Jackson. <laughs> I like to say that. But like what you're interested about and what you can educate people about. The other thing is also like, what is that audience size? Like, is it growing? How easy is it for you to access? And eventually, if you want to convert them to paying people, is there a propensity to pay there? How hard or easy it is? So what we found is that the ease of access is very hard everywhere, except with startup founders. And this was a time, 2012 or so, when there weren't podcasts. LinkedIn wasn't buzzing. Everything was third-party blogs. And all the conversations online were platitudes from CEOs, high-level stuff. So nobody was talking about, like, how do you get your first customers? How do you hire your first employee? How do you raise from angels? How do you run a specific marketing campaign? Or how do you validate a specific channel to drive growth? How do you do PL? Nobody was talking about these things. And so we said, you know, how did we realize nobody was talking about these things? We went and understood the ICP. We talked, not only talked to the ICP, we were our ICP, right? We we're also founders. So we started going out in the community and going to every single community event. We participated in hackathons and we realized, man, none of this content is relevant to help us build our business. So we're going to have to seek external advice. And as a function of doing that, why not just take the advice for us? We'll just open it up too. So now our emails started going out to founders saying, hey, founder, we're inviting influencer X to talk about topic Y, and we have 10 seats. There's going to be pizza. Would you be able to make it? And of course they would come. It went from saying, buy my stuff to come here. The purpose of the company went from automating tax credits to helping innovators change the world. And I wrote a post about this on Bloomberg. Every dollar spent in innovation returns 20 to the economy. Vaccines, robots, clean drinking water is a function of innovation. Yet in the last 15 years, more than 50% of the Fortune 500 companies have evaporated and 99% of the innovations die on the vine because most innovators don't have the know-how and the funding to make it happen. Even if they have the funding, they don't have the know-how. So then we went from being an R&D tax credit company to evolve into being an R&D intelligence company. Through the products we built was first automating tax credits. So think about it, not in love with the solution. If we were loving the solution, we'd just do more and more types of tax credits. Love with the aspiration. Founders or innovators want to, why do they want money? To grow their business. Why do they want to grow their business? To create some downstream impact. So that became a purpose, enabling innovators to change the world. We became an intelligence company more than a funding company, right? So first was automating tax credits. 
Then we raised a hundred million fund to lend them money because the government would take a long time to pay them that money. Now we're like, now that you have this money, we'll give you the insights on which projects to invest in, who you should hire, so you can innovate faster, better. And that becomes the journey. And in the future, more will come as long as we're serving that path of helping innovators become successful. We started doing these meetups. First meetup, 20, 10 people showed up. Next one, 20 people showed up. More and more people would show up. One day we had 200 people show up to a pizza night in a co-working space. And they were like, listen, it's not a meetup anymore, it's a conference. And then we met Ray Walia at Launch Academy, which is a nonprofit incubator, became great friends. And because we had no resources, we said, you know, we're good at bringing content and speakers and Ray is good at logistics. His family used to organize Bollywood concerts. So we came together to build this traction community and fast forward today, it's 120,000 or so subscribers. And we've done between live digital events, hundreds of events over the last seven years. So I think you have to start with the purpose and have the DNA of giving and then understand your niche, your audience, so you can serve them through content. And once it's resonating and they are engaging, then you need to bring them together. And once you bring them together, then figure out what downstream impact you can co-create that is beyond your offering, that is aligned with the greater purpose, like Mr. Beast did, or like Harley Davidson does, and that will turn into a movement. And then figure out what rituals you can imbibe, right? What are some core actions of your community? So if you think about it, the core action of YouTube is posting or is it scrolling? Figure out the core action of your product. What are the one thing that people do over and over again that if they didn't, your product would be meaningless, your community would be meaningless? So figure out that core action, like think through YouTube, think through Instagram, what is that core action? And think about the core action for your community or your product. And initially you drive that core action through external triggers, right? Email, push notifications, whatever it is. Eventually though, if that core action goes from being an extrinsic motivation or trigger to an intrinsic, then you can start making it a ritual. And if you combine rituals with beliefs around a purpose greater than your profit or product, and that happens consistently with a cadence, then it becomes a cult. So that's that's how I explored that in the book. That's amazing. And you know, the key thing here is that, you know, the purpose matters and that's what things start from. And then, you know, another thing that you mentioned is being consistent. You've talked about this before as well. And, uh, you know, staying on this path is also a difficult path. There are tough days, there are difficult times. How do you continue to keep yourself motivated, especially when, you know, building this community is hard work, right? It takes years of effort to build a sustainable community. And like you said, the purpose cannot be how do I monetize this community? The first purpose has to be how do I help this community and how they are going to help each other. And then at some point, it's going to get to a point where there might be some potential to monetize, right? But how do you last through this phase when it is so hard to build this community? Let's first, before we dive in, explore why communities die. One of the top reasons why communities die is one, it doesn't make money. So at some point, you got to figure out some monetization strategy, not on day one, but you have to have that in mind. 
Then monetization strategy doesn't have to be, I'm just gonna like choke everyone by the neck and ask them to buy. You can have sponsors. Or if you have a product and build a community of purpose or rather a community of practice around the purpose of your product, or maybe a community of product around your features, or a community of play like Harley Davidson, hanging out and fun, whatever it is, you can monetize that because it's it's a community that eventually serves your company, right? So like boast, whether directly through the people who would come to our events or through the partners, because we had this like fun follow frequent, right? Where partners would also come to events and those partners would refer as business. So we got business from it. But if you're not getting business from it, then you got to figure out, can I sell memberships? Can I sell sponsorships? Those things eventually because otherwise it's hard to sustain. You need to figure out how to make money. The other thing is lack of alignment on values between the core people running the community. You can't control a community. You need to be, give it autonomy. You need to keep adding more value into the community. What happens is when there is a conflict of values, if you and I don't see eye to eye and we're running the community together, initially when you're trying to survive, when you're poor, you don't think about values. But as you grow, those conflict of values cause erosion. And the other thing there tied to values is if your values are not aligning with your behaviors, your community members will see. If you say you care about purpose, but your actions are all about money, they'll see and they'll wither away. Right. We've seen great communities like Startup Weekend. I, know, I don't know if you heard about Startup Weekend, but one of the largest organizations in the world where people would come on a Friday and over three days meet new co-founders and build a startup. Like I did a lot of work there volunteering, but they got acquired. And then the number of events they did just died down because people didn't want to volunteer anymore because they felt there was a loss in purpose. Being consistent and consistently showing up are some reasons why your community will last, right? Figure out how do I keep adding more value? Figure out alignment around the purpose and your values in terms of how you behave and match, be consistent. And if you do those things, you'll also make money and figure out a monetization strategy for the community or else it dies. Now, how do you stay motivated through these ups and downs? Is I truly believe that in community-led businesses, it's the people that carry you. You know, there's uh, recently a lot of talk around blue zones where there's these four or five towns where people live to 100 functionally, not like can't move and like crippled and uh, that sort of no, thing. No, I, I keep telling this to a lot of my friends also. There's no point living till 80 or 100 if your body doesn't function. Exactly, right? right? Like my, you'll see people who can't, like they're like, I wouldn't say crippled, but like they just, the body doesn't function. And it's not about longevity if you have no functionality. I'd rather live less and be functional than live long and be dysfunctional. That is the reality. So these five cities or towns rather, people on average live to 100 functionally. And they have nine common traits. And five out of those nine common traits are community and companion related. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. There's a couple of the others. I'm going to read the traits over here that are non-community related, but the traits are one is plant-based diet. I personally don't agree with plant-based diet because I'm a ketogenic uh, consumer. Moderate calorie intake, regular physical activity in groups, so like walking, gardening, etc. 
So now this, these are the community ones, right? Regular physical activity, social engagement, sense of purpose, stress reduction, strong family bonds and spirituality, meaning belonging to a spiritual group. So you got spirituality, belonging to a spiritual group, strong family bonds, sense of purpose, social engagement, and group-like physical activity. The five things are all community-related. And what that tells you is when you're surrounded by great companions, your mind calms itself. The load is really big when you're tackling it alone. When you're tackling it with people, the load feels small. So finding the right companions is very important. So I was a refugee of the Gulf War, right? And it is probably the largest evacuation, grassroots evacuation ever. Because there was a time where there were no cell phones and no internet. And when the war hit, I went down the building with my dad and looked at these concerned faces. And very immediately, people started coming together. All guard the building from 8 to 12. And you guard the building from 12 to 4. And somebody's like, I'm going to organize food and supplies. You really come together and the word of mouth spread from building to building, turned into a coordinated movement with embassies and governments and evacuated the people to safety. And they made a Bollywood movie on this airlift, right? I lived that experience. And that was my first experience with entrepreneurship because entrepreneurship is what? Taking an idea to execution and fruition while dealing with extreme risk and uncertainty. And this is also my first experience with community because it was a grassroots community-led movement that evacuated people to safety. Through that experience, when we were leaving Kuwait and going in this refugee bus from Kuwait to Baghdad to Jordan on this highway of death, buses were bombed, etc. Currencies were invalid. You weren't sure what you're going to do. Like you're displaced, right? And as I looked around this refugee bus, instead of seeing concerned faces, people were singing and playing the guitar and laughing along the way. And I realized that day that, you know, we always say it's about the destination or it's about the journey. What is it? Like, you know, it's the journey, not the destination. It's the destination, not the journey. It's neither, man. Life and business is not about the destination or the journey. It's the companions that matter the most. People build companies. People build communities. People build cultures. You could be on a crappy journey on the way to hell. Great companions make it memorable. Have you ever been in a situation where you're having expensive food and sipping expensive wine, but like you just want to get out of there because of the companions there? My mom grew up in the slums of India. My grandparents had 10 siblings. Every year I'd visit from Kuwait. There's no bathroom. So you got to go through this common bathroom and it's nasty. So I had to go in the bushes because I could never stomach myself there. But still, I loved that experience because puddles would turn into ponds during the monsoon and would swim in there. Watching TV was a communal thing. We'd play together and I never wanted to leave. Whereas like I've been in some of the best events and I felt suffocated because there's not that communal vibe. So the point being is your companions matter the most. Your well-being depends on it. So curate the right companions. And when you're building a community-led business, if you have the right companions, it's easier to get through difficult times is what I found. And I've had many tough parts in our journey, right? I mean, you talk about experiencing the slums of India or experience the Gulf War. But once we started Boast, there was lots of ups and downs. And prior to Boast, I've only ever worked at failed startups. But always having this circle of people made me feel like I could sail through anything. And funnily, the time where I hit rock bottom in life and got depressed was when I left the day-to-day -day at Boast. We, we sold half the company to growth equity, transitioned out of the company, and I felt I lost my identity, man. 
because I was the face of this company and I felt I lost my tribe. I ended up literally depressed. And I frantically started calling people, friends from everywhere, because I'd come into some money and like, I'll meet you here, let's go and party. Come to San Francisco or meet me in Miami or let's go to Puerto Rico, right? I During that journey, I went to France and I went to Italy and I went to Barcelona and I went everywhere. Come to Dominican Republic is one day I think we were in Miami and we didn't like Miami, we went to Dominican the next day, then went to Austin. That's how crazy I got. And I got so crazy depressed that I was at a conference in Romania. And after the conference, they had a speaker retreat and we're in the middle of, I don't know, the boonies, four or five hours from the Bucharest airport. And at two in the morning, I'm frantically calling an Uber. And the people around me are like, what are you doing? Right? Like hang out in the pool. Like it's like two in the morning. What are you doing? I'm like, no, hold on. I couldn't get an Uber for half an hour. Finally, an Uber shows up. I tell the Uber to pause. I go up, bring my bags. And I said, hold on. I book my flight to Costa Rica. And I tell them, guys, I'm leaving to Costa Rica. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I have a 6.30 flight to Costa Rica because I had some friends who had messaged me earlier, said, come to Costa Rica. That's how crazy I got because I felt I lost my tribe. That was the thing. And one day I was sitting in the room and my wife looks at me and she's like, look at you. Like you've gotten out of shape, you're overweight. If something happens to you, you're not gonna get a third chance. What happened was after we did the funding round, I got COVID and I was hospitalized. And life was chaotic since then, went through a chaotic year of adding lots of people in the company and then leaving the companies day to day. And leading up to that incident, I'd never spent any time with the family. So my wife's like, if something happens to you, you, your kids won't even probably remember you. So make a change or else we're going to be left holding the bag. And that day, actually, I, I dusted the clothes off my Peloton bike and I hopped on the Peloton. And incidentally, the instructor who was there, she was coming off maternity leave and she brought her vulnerable self. And that's what community is all about, bringing your vulnerable self so you can connect with one another. And she said, I don't feel as strong and, you know, I feel weak and I, I haven't ridden in a while. And then she yelled out, self-pity is toxic. One crank, one shift, one rider on the block. I am, I can with Eye of the Tiger playing. I felt so jolted that that one ride turned into two, turned into several. And that was, Peloton was the perfect example of connection, autonomy, mastery, purpose, energy, and recognition imbibing all together. And then my journey to transformation started where now I wake up every morning and I think something good that happened the night before because my wife said the glass is always half full. You can do anything. Why are you moping for what you don't have? Then I bang out 50 push-ups to the eye of the tiger and ride the Peloton. But that Peloton journey, that Peloton community saved me. So my whole life, what I've had is some community to rely on. And the only time I got depressed and hit rock bottom was I, when I felt I lost this tribe. And that's why I actually wrote the book is I felt the world needed to know beyond the product and the technology. People build companies, people build communities, people build cultures. People is what drive the world. And in the sea of technology and in the sea of sameness with generative AI, we're gonna lose the people-to-people -people connection. And until the world is full of robots, you can't build sustainable businesses without having a people-to-people -people connection without a community. You can't build a cult-like iconic brand without a community. Brands of yesterday were built on what they told the world about themselves and brands of the future will be built on what the community says about them. 
yesterday's innovation is always tomorrow's commodity. But if you build a community, you won't be a commodity. Since you mentioned the book that you're talking about, can you tell us what the book is titled? When is it out? What's it about? And uh, why should people read it? As I talked to thousands of community leaders and I became a community member behind the scenes at different community groups like OnDeck, Saster, NAS Daily, which is a, a big creator community. You've heard of NAS Studios, right? The YouTuber NAS Daily. I joined many communities. I rewatched seven years of traction content and I researched all these communities. I came up with like 13 common rules to build iconic brands with community-led growth. Legendary brands from Apple and Atlassian to Harley-Davidson and HubSpot and CrossFit and everyone in between has a very common theme, which is centered around community-led growth. And I wanted to educate the world on the power of community, starting with my personal experiences in the sense inspired by my personal journeys, like mapping that, like why was I happier hanging out in the slums or why was the Gulf War so impactful or how were we able to bootstrap both to 10 with this community or why... I hit rock bottom and got depressed when I left the day-to-day of the company. And then again, the community pulled me forward. And then it drew me to look into all these iconic brands and found those common themes. So the book is called From Grassroots to Greatness, 13 Rules to Build Iconic Brands with Community-Led Growth. It's for pre-sale on fromgrassrootstogreatness.com or on lloydlobo.com. All right. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Lloyd. I think this was an amazing conversation. Lots of, uh, you know, helpful information through this. And uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, our listeners would want to listen to this episode a few times to register so many, uh, you know, bits of information that's in there. And I know that we have a lot more to talk about and maybe we'll catch up again another time. But for now, thank you so much for spending so much time with us. Thank you so much. Hope it was good. Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast is brought to you by Philo. Philo is the easiest way to get access to authenticated creator data from hundreds of different platforms. To know more about Philo, visit getphilo.com. That's get, P-H-Y-L-L-O.com. Also, make sure to search for influencer marketing podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast listening platforms. And don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Philo, thank you so much for listening.